Beehive Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Bees. Uh, Phoenix Suns. You united a country. I just want to start off the show by saying that what you did, it, you guys did what every NFC team ever did that played against the Patriots. Of course, they didn't win all those games, but you rallied a country. Everybody was behind you. I know Laker fans who were happy that the Lakers lost. That's how much they just loathe LeBron at this point. The player he's become, the villain, the flopper, the wine bag. It's fantastic. Three straight wins for the Phoenix Suns, bumping the Lakers in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Game five, they win by 30. A trouncing. Game six, they were up. I think it was like 45-19 at one point, but they end up winning by 13. Sealed the deal. So long, LeBron. NBA playoffs just got more interesting to me. Hope everybody had a good weekend. I did. I golfed a new course in Dunkirk, New York called Shorewood. It was the windiest golf of all time. If you saw the video I posted on the Facebook page, I think I called it Hurricane Season. It was insane. If you got the ball up off the ground with a, you know, a wedge or an iron, high iron, it was, it was crazy. the The ball flight would move twenty five, thirty yards left or right, depending on where the ball was going. I'm sorry, wherever the wind was going. It was nuts. But then uh, we followed that up. We went to it was uh, Kyle Hellman and I, a buddy of mine. We went to. Salem Field, which if you've listened to every show, I had the head groundskeeper, Kelly Renzel, on. He uh, works at Salem Field for the Bisons. Of course, the Blue Jays playing their home games there now. So went there, watched uh, the Saturday little matinee game, 3 o'clock. It was Astros, Blue Jays. Those of you who know, I'm an Astros fan, so that's why I went. It was an experience I'll never get again. We sat in the physically distanced section of seating, which was badass because a row of 20 seats, there's six people in it all spaced out. So there's like nobody in front of us. We were four rows up on the first base side, probably uh, a section past the base. So, I mean, just imagine going to a minor league field and watching a game, you know, how intimate it is. You're so close to the field, the players, everything. It was Really, really cool. Uh, the Astros lost, but they did win two or three of that series. Vlad Guerrero uh, hitting a homer in the game we were at, Vlad Guerrero Jr. So it was it was still cool, even though the Astros lost. I'm still a little frustrated we didn't go Friday. I didn't pay attention to the pitching matchups. And Granke pitched on Friday. I would have preferred to watch him over Jose or Quiddy, but it was still just really cool. I mean, just the how close you are. The players were very interactive with fans, which was neat to see a few of them walked by and I just hollered from row four, you know, Hey, to Dusty Baker, uh, try to thank Yuli Gurriel, both of them. I just yelled their names. They waved. It was just real neat. How, how close everything was. And, uh, listening to the blue Jays crowd, Raz Jose Altuve, who ended up going two for four because he doesn't give a shit about what the crowd's saying. And then uh, actually in Sunday's game, let off the game with a homer. So I'm actually pissed I wasn't there for that too because it would have been fun to see him quiet the crowd in that regard. 
but yeah, again, that's an experience I'll never get again. So that's uh, probably the one thing COVID's done to sports that I will ever have benefited from going to a, a minor league field to watch a pro game and just the whole, you know, the atmosphere is just really cool. I mean, it was, I've been to several minor league games and it was similar to that. You just have better players on the field. So it was good. A couple things else we're going to touch on in the opening segment. It has now become clear to me that if you sign a player who hasn't been in the NFL for an extended period of time, and I know we've touched on this multiple times now with Tebow, it is all about Tebow. It's the hate for Tebow. It's nothing else. And the reason I say that is because the Tennessee Titans just signed 26-year-old Adam Kuhn, who's never played in the NFL. He's never played college football. He was a four-time high school state wrestling champion in Michigan. He was a three-time All-American at Michigan University with no college experience, but he was a All-State linebacker at his high school in 2012, which is the last time he played. And I haven't heard a peep from anybody around the NFL being pissed off about this, which leads me to believe this is just hate for Tebow. I don't understand it. I don't know why everybody doesn't like a guy who's literally never done anything wrong to anybody that I've seen. So that's just what it is. Adam Kuhn, 26. I do think that wrestling can translate to a lot of other sports. Maybe not MMA if you watch the the best fighters. The the fighters who have a wrestling background sometimes don't fare well in MMA. But just as far as being athletic and mobile and limber, I guess, I don't know. He probably won't make the team. But they're giving him a shot, and nobody's mad about it. Nobody's saying, well, he's taking a job from somebody who, you know, has worked his whole life to to get there. And I'm not hearing that. I'm not hearing any rebuttal from any players at all. So it just, again, leads me to believe that this is strictly a Tim Tebow thing that everybody's upset about. Mayweather, Paul, that was uh, last night as I record this. It was last night. And I wish I would have put my thoughts on this fight out prior to the fight being over because now it's going to sound like I just am going with what happened. And it's actually not the case. And I do have a couple witnesses on that because I talked about it Friday night uh, with a couple people, Bob Heim and Cowboy. And I told them that my thoughts on it when the rules came out, no winner or judges, knockouts are allowed. So those are like the two main rules as far as the fight goes. They're not scoring it. So if it goes the distance, there can be no declared winner. This fight was designed for that. Specifically, to go the distance. Floyd Mayweather hasn't knocked anybody out in a sanctioned fight since 2011. And I did see somewhere that in an exhibition in 2018, he did have a knockout. But it doesn't count towards his total. 50 wins or whatever it might be. 27 of those are by knockout. That's not his game. Knocking people out has never been his game. His game is land punches, play defense. That's what he does. He's a defensive fighter. Everybody knows that. This fight listed as, you know, entertainment only 
It's literally what it is. So now you have, you know, people on the internet who can argue about who won and you have Logan Paul. Uh, I think he said something along the lines of, I, I kind of think he did concede from what I read this morning. It was just basically like he was happy. He went the full fight without, you know, getting knocked out. But the, it, the, I think this was the most predictable thing of all time. It was never going to be a knockout because the punches landed. I mean, if you look at the unofficial scoring on it, Paul landed some, but it wasn't, I mean, Mayweather's just so quick and, and good at avoiding hits. It's what he's been, you know, the majority of his career. Like I said, his last knockout in one of his sanctioned fights, which I think he's had like 10, maybe 9 or 10 since 2011, that was his last knockout, was 2011, just because it's not the way he fights. Yeah, so... I did not watch it. I did not pay $50 for it. I know it was on Showtime. And I did read, too, that now that's where Jake Paul's fights are transitioning to instead of that uh, thriller. I believe Showtime is going to be the place for the new Jake Paul fights, which he just signed one that he has coming up, I think, in July. Either way, waste of money, if you ask me, especially for this one. Maybe not the next one. Maybe maybe the Jake Paul one will be good because I do want to see him lose a fight. But you could just I just knew that nothing was going to take place during the Mayweather-Logan Paul fight. It's The rules were built for it to go eight rounds. John Rahm, uh, I mean, that really could be a things that stings story, but I'm just going to touch on it now because I really don't have too much to say other than there has to be a better way. He doesn't get a follow-up test. He, I mean, a seven-stroke lead cruising into Sunday and yanked. Couldn't he golf by himself, caddy for himself, have a score following from a safe distance? The guy is showing no symptoms. He had one positive test. It's an outdoor sport. I just can't figure out why they couldn't find a way that cost him a lot of money. Um, it's just a shame. I like John Rahm. He handled it with grace. Uh, his quote afterwards was, you know, this is one of those things that happens to you and how you respond is, you know, kind of defines you as a person. And good on him for that because I would have been kicking and screaming probably. Just seems shitty. And it's a shame that they couldn't come up with something, an alternate plan, a, a second test, whatever. Uh you know, to keep him in that tournament. So I hope he bounces back well and continues to golf well because he definitely deserves a win after the show he was putting on at the Memorial. So, all right, we're going to take a break. Uh, keep in mind, this week does start the fan rant. It will be in the My Hive segment over the next eight weeks. Uh, if a team hasn't been claimed, I am going to find people to claim them, but I do believe the first two weeks, which would be this week and uh, next week, NFCs this week, AFCs next week, are both fully covered. So we will be able to uh, go on as scheduled with them, and then I'll just have to do some work during the week to fill the other spots. So this week, NFC East fan rant going to be in the My Hive segment. We're going to take a break. I will be back with this week in sports history. We're going to cover a story that was uh, going to be put on by request. 
It was sent to me. I love when you guys do that. Have me look some shit up and and touch on it. But stick around because it's going to be lightning. Hi, this is Chris Rossetti, and I wanted to take a moment to tell you about our new website, D9in10sports.com. It's just like the old one, but with the word and in the number 10 added to the end. D9in10sports.com is your new home for District 9 and District 10 high school sports, and we are doing all the things you have come to love from us, plus much, much more. Our goal is the same, to cover every sport at every school in both D9 and D10 in a variety of ways, including writing, video, and audio. If you're a high school sports fan, you need to check out D9in10sports.com today. Let's take a look back at This Week in Sports History. This edition of This Week in Sports History is brought to you by D9and10sports.com, the home for all things District 9 and District 10 sports. If you love sports, this is the place to be. So by request, and I'm so glad I did this, because wait till the ending, super interesting to people who are local to my area, northwestern Pennsylvania, uh, specifically Warren County, but even just in the area in general, found something super interesting out about this. So we're going back and we're going off the rails this week. It's not 10 facts. It's one story. It was sent to me actually by two people where I was tagged in it or it was posted. I can't remember, but a lot of people wanted to hear about this because I think it comes down to the whole how we're talking about players being softer now than they they were back then and uh, the era of basketball now versus the era of 90s and just all things sports you know everybody's they were tougher back in the day kind of argument so we're going to august 24th of 1919 so we're gonna go a little bit before that time but that's the date we're gonna focus on august 24th 1919 it's the story of ray caldwell so prior to the 1919 season the yankees trade pitcher Roy, or I'm sorry, Ray Caldwell to Boston after he left the team without notice during the 1918 season. So it come to find out Caldwell has some drinking issues. Uh, couldn't stay off the bottle, affected his performances, affected his relationships. Uh, the Yankees get tired of it. He leaves without notice. They ship him, ship him to Boston. Dropkick Murphy's pun. So he becomes road roommates with Babe Ruth, who is also a known drinker. So sports writers way back then basically predicted what was about to happen and that this was a not a good match for these two to be, you know, rooming together. And Caldwell eventually wears out his welcome in Boston and is released in August. So with his his poor reputation of a bad teammate, bad drunk. Not many teams were out there looking. But the Cleveland Indians were chasing the White Sox for a pennant and were basically looking for anything they could that was out there to, to help them get there. Because Caldwell's not a bad pitcher. He just can't stop drinking. 
So the tribe coach, Tris Speaker, comes up with an unusual plan to loop Caldwell in and make this work. What Speaker came up with was after a game that he pitched, his scheduled pitching date, he encouraged him to go get drunk. And he said, you don't even have to come in tomorrow. Take tomorrow to recover. But then on the second day, after his scheduled start, Caldwell would have to report and he would have to run to sweat all the booze out of his system. And at that point, he would start prep for his next scheduled start. And this worked. Caldwell loved the plan. He signed on August 19th of 1919. Five days later, he's going to have his debut at Cleveland's League Park against the then pretty shitty Philadelphia Athletics. So Speaker starts Caldwell in his debut, and he starts to notice that, hey, this gamble might be working. Caldwell cruised through eight and two-thirds innings, only allowing one run on four hits. With the final out coming up, Joe Dugan steps to the plate, who's a light-hitting shortstop. So he's trying, Caldwell's trying to, he's poised to get this final out before the forecasted summer evening storm rolls in. Yankees were up, I'm sorry, the Indians were up two to one. What happened next could be disputed because there's multiple claims. Some say a bolt of lightning struck somewhere within the confines of League Park. Some say it hit a railing near the press box and made its way down to the mound. But Cleveland Indians historian Franklin Lewis writes that the bolt of lightning struck the ground near the pitcher's mound. All three of these claims result in the same ending is that Caldwell's flattened on the ground for five minutes out cold, having been struck by lightning. Several other reports, the catcher had his mask and helmet blown off. An umpire lost a hat. A coach lost a hat. Several players and coaches said that they felt tingling from the electricity. And a lot of them thought that Caldwell was dead, laying on the field. After the five minutes of being unconscious, Caldwell comes too. Wouldn't come out of the game, though they tried. But Caldwell had other business to tend to, and that was getting Joe Duggan out. He did so when he induced a grounder to third base. Tribe wins 2-1. to one. So this man was struck by lightning, knocked unconscious from it, got back up and pitched the final out of the inning. Two weeks later, he no-hit the Yankees, his former team. He ended his campaign that season at 5-1 with a 1.71 ERA, and then signed on to pitch two more years with the Indians. In 1919, they did fall short in that chase of the White Sox by three and a half games. But this story is said to have bolstered his career and kind of got it on track from uh, the, you know, the drinking and, and everything else. But holy shit. Struck by lightning. Uh, Franklin Lewis wrote that if it was anybody else, they would have been dead. The interesting part that I found about Ray Caldwell that I was unaware of is that 
In, on April 26, 1988, he was actually born in Corydon, PA, right outside of Bradford, Pennsylvania. He died in Salamanca, New York, on August 17, 1967, at the age of 79. What a story. I, like I said, this was sent to me by multiple people, and I just could not believe, uh, you know, the, the, the headline that came with it was, you know, a stat line you'll never see again. A player gets struck by lightning, stays in the game, records the final out, gets the win. And I would assume got drunk that night based off the plan that uh, Trish Speaker put in place for him. Sounded like that was working out. So that's it for the story for this week. It's a little shorter, but uh, good nonetheless. I'm glad you guys sent that to me. Anytime you find stuff you want to send that you want to hear more about, want me to research and discuss, send it away. I will absolutely do it. It uh, Some of this stuff can be, you know, the 10 facts are interesting. These can be interesting as well. And it's fun to learn more about a scenario that, you know, you might see a meme about or just a whatever, just somebody maybe mentioning it, but actually diving into it's pretty cool. Uh, the part that I found interesting is that if you really think about it, if you're one of those, you know, everything happens for a reason type people, the path that he laid for himself with drinking and getting kicked off of teams, you know, the Yankees uh, trade him because he left with, you know, without notice. And then obviously he goes to Boston. He's getting banged up all the time with Babe Ruth and they ship him, you know, or they release him. So, all of those behaviors and all of those things that took place led him to pitch on Cleveland in Cleveland on that day. It's just kind of crazy if you think about the path that led him there was misbehavior, you know, alcohol, being a shitty teammate. Pretty crazy. All right. Again, this edition of This Week in Sports History is brought to you by D9and10sports.com, the home for all things District 9 and District 10 sports. If you love sports, this is the place to be. We're going to take a break. We got a handful of topics to go over in the things that sting. So we will be right back with you. Now time for the things that sting. The worst stories in sports, according to Joe. Hey, we're back. The things that sting. I think at the end of last segment, I said that we had a handful. I actually only have two. So if I said that, which I don't remember, I lied and I apologize. Uh, But we have two pretty insane cases uh, to discuss here. We're going to start with the Atlanta Braves, Marcel Ozuna, who was arrested for aggravated assault, strangulation, and misdemeanor misdemeanor battery for uh, family violence-involved crime. He's been released from the Fulton County, Fulton County Jail on $20,000 bond. Sandy Springs Police Department in Georgia released a statement, and in summary, uh, it says just after noon on May 29th, Officers responded to a 911 call to a residence for an assault in progress. Uh, upon arrival, they could hear screaming and noticed the front door was open. 
due to the exigent circumstances. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, exigent circumstances would be uh, the things that you see and observe an emergency, essentially. So because they could hear the screaming, because they had the report of an assault in progress, door open, they can enter uh, warrantless. So officers enter, and as they do, they actually witness Ozuna grabbing the victim around the neck and throwing her against a wall. Officers were able to immediately take Ozuna into custody without incident. Uh, Ozuna had also used a cast that he had on his arm from a previous injury to strike the victim. The victim did have visible injuries, but was not transported to the hospital. So that doesn't say anything about the severity of the injuries. Uh, she could have either refused or she also could have had uh, a neighbor taker, a family member taker. Uh, some people like to avoid ambulance rides. Uh, so that doesn't that that statement is not telling to the severity of anything. Um, just wanted to make that clear for everybody. Uh, Zuna spent Saturday and Sunday in jail, but made bail on Monday. So he sat for two days. Uh, the charges he's facing, as I said, were ag assault strangulation and misdemeanor battery with the family violence. So the, the charges in Georgia, the ag assault strangulation is a felony. In Pennsylvania, that's actually two different charges. Aggravated assault and strangulation are two separate sections. Both are felonies. Uh, and so, you know, if I, I'm looking at this from a Pennsylvania perspective, he actually could have been charged for multiple felonies rather than what it sounds like is just one. Uh, the Braves released a statement in support of Major League Baseball's stance against domestic violence and said they will have no further comment until the investigation is complete. Uh, for those not familiar, Ozuna finished sixth in the National League MVP race in 2020, but has struggled this season. Uh, he did, in between the 2020 and 2021 season, sign a four-year, $65 million deal. He was on the disabled list just recently for two dislocated fingers, which is what uh, would explain the cast on the hand. So a lot of people, obviously, Azuna's in a world of shit, with the police actually witnessing part of the attack. I mean, that's there's just, I, I can't imagine a world where uh, he doesn't suffer some severe consequences for these actions, which are completely, which is completely, you know, fitting. Uh, there's no place for domestic violence anywhere. And clearly, uh, I don't, you know, it doesn't release what enticed everything to go down. But uh, Ozuna went over the line, far over the line. And, you know, now he's going to have to face some music for that. So a lot of people in the comment sections and stuff I was reading were complaining why the Braves haven't done anything and released them and banned them from, the, you know, why hasn't he been banned from MLB? I, I would assume all of that is coming in due time. However, uh, the CBA that they currently have actually protects Ozuna's wages and service time, even if he's incarcerated. So as of right now, when I record this, you know, four or five days later after the incident, he is still listed on the 10 day disabled list, which means they can, they can fill his roster spot uh, while he's on that list. And furthermore, once he is taken off the disabled list, or if they keep him on it, however they choose to do it, the commissioner will step in and can actually, you know, put him on an administrative leave. And again, his wages and service time are protected, but 
the Braves can continue to have that roster spot. But uh, from what I was reading until, you know, there's really some uh, movement on the case, the Braves are kind of handcuffed from actually releasing him immediately or cutting ties with him. You know, obviously that's what the huge, huge majority of fans are, you know, rallying for. So I think that comes in due time. I, I would be surprised based off of what I read, if this guy ever plays in the majors again. Next case is uh, another bad one. Uh, This is Isai Itut. He's a Virginia Tech freshman linebacker, and he's charged with second-degree murder and being held without bond in Montgomery County Jail uh, near Blacksburg, Virginia. So according to Blacksburg Police, on June 1st, around 10.30 p.m., they responded to a welfare check and found the deceased male victim. Detectives ruled the death a homicide and arrested Etoot on Wednesday, June 2nd. Uh, detectives also believe that this incident actually occurred Memorial Day, which would have been uh, May 31st. So Monday, it occurs. Tuesday, you get the welfare check call. I believe it was from family. Uh, because they had said that it is rare for them to even go, you know, a full day without hearing from uh, the victim who was identified as 40-year-old Jerry Smith. Uh, He is said to have died of blunt force trauma to the head. Smith was an openly gay restaurant employee in the Blacksburg area, and investigators have said that the two, uh, Etoot and Smith, knew each other, but They did not say uh, what the circumstances were regarding how they knew each other. Smith also had a lengthy criminal criminal history where he had been charged with DUI, reckless driving, uh, petty larceny, among other things. Virginia Tech responds by uh, suspending Etoot from the team as well as the entire campus. Uh, This is where I think that this gets a little bit interesting to see. I want to definitely follow this, but it's going to be some time, so it'll be a while before we circle back to this. Uh, the vetting process for E2, uh, Isai Etoot, according to coaches and you know administrators from Virginia Tech, he had zero red flags. He had zero criminal history, no issues at all. Basically, uh, in essence, a poster child for players they're trying to recruit. E2 was a three-start recruit coming out of Virginia, uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia. And according to ES- that's, that's according to ESPN, the three-start recruit. And he had 12, uh, 12 additional offers from schools uh, to go there, namely Vanderbilt, Nancy State, and I believe Virginia as well. Chose Virginia Tech. So this is, like I said, where it gets interesting to me. A September 23rd prelim has been scheduled for the murder charge. However, it was found that Etoot also has court on July 22nd for a hearing uh, of traffic violations where he was charged with reckless driving and failing to obey a stop sign while he was operating a 2019 BMW SUV. The date on the tickets for those offenses is Memorial Day. So it is unclear as of now, as I said, investigators believe this crime occurred on Memorial Day, but it it is unknown whether E2 was pulled over by police prior to the incident or after. Uh, 
to me, when I'm looking at this, a guy who's never been in trouble, you know, no, like I said, no criminal history, no red flags for the recruitment process. To me, it almost seems like he was probably pulled over while after he had committed the crime. He's in panic. You know, he's never done anything like this that anybody knows about. Uh, So he's freaking out, starts driving fast. He's trying to uh, distance himself from the scene of the crime and ends up getting pulled over. However, uh, another part that makes me think maybe it wasn't that maybe he was on his way there is that in his mind, while in panic, if he's being pulled over by police, he doesn't probably think it's for the traffic violations. He probably thinks it's because he just killed somebody. So it could go either way. I don't know that they'll ever be able to determine that without an admission. uh, And that's probably something they're not going to get prior to any hearings, maybe afterwards, maybe after, you know, this is all settled and he's interviewed later comes clean on some stuff. He might clear that up, but yeah, so it's, uh, that and and this is where it's also getting interesting is the Jerry Smith story, uh, the the openly gay restaurant employee who was essentially kind of a staple in the Blacksburg area. From what I'm reading, he bounced around restaurant to restaurant. He was very popular. Um, he was a known storyteller. A lot of people believed he embellished stories uh, just to you know get a rise out of people. But one of the rumors that was circulating online after this all took place was that he was the he had claimed. Well, this was a, a rumor that the Blacksburg mayor, Leslie Hager Smith, uh, was rumored to be his aunt. Uh, this is a claim that Leslie Hager Smith has denied, calling it a falsehood and a distraction. But it comes come to find out that, you know, the interviews I was reading where these bar owners and patrons knew him. They said that he would make stuff up all the time, including uh, that he was once married to the district attorney in a neighboring county. Uh, But it turns out Smith is actually the one who started this rumor that he was the nephew of the Blacksburg mayor and he did it on a TV interview. So there's just a lot of strange things uh, circling back with with all of this, and the other thing was that with his lengthy criminal history, his family claims to have known nothing about that. So he wasn't, you know, informing them of what was happening in his life or whatever. But you know, they claim that he talked to them almost daily. So either way, uh, we won't probably know too much more about this until the September twenty third prelim. So we will, uh, you know, I'll make a note to pay attention when that time rolls around so that we can maybe get some more information, a motive or, or what led them to charge uh, E2. Cause that also has not been released, but again, it was blunt force trauma. All of this is believed to have happened on Memorial day. Uh, he was, uh, they found the body the next day, June 1st, E2 arrested June 2nd. So, all right, well that wraps up the things that sting. Going to take a break, and we will be back with the very first round of the NFL Fan Rant. The NFC East is underway this week. Next week will be the AFC East. We're going to do every division each week, the next eight weeks. 
Uh, this should be fun. I'm really excited to get uh, you know a bunch of different people on here and listen to them tell me why their team is so good, even though we know you know the majority of them really aren't. But hey, that's the idea. Convince me, convince you guys. That's what we're rolling with here. So take a break. We'll be right back with NFL Fan Rant in the My Hive segment. Stick around. Hi, this is Ryan Klein, the host of the new pop culture podcast, Me, Myself, and Rye. You can find me on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several other platforms. Special guests, breakaway shows, bonus episodes, cold beers, and a whole lot more. So what are you guys and gals waiting for? Subscribe now to the Me, Myself, and Rye podcast on Spotify or wherever it is that you get your shows and start listening today. everybody welcome to the highly anticipated nfl fan rant segment this is going to be going on over the next eight weeks one division per week we're starting this week off with the nfc east so basically what's going to happen is if you looked at the facebook post you have all these people representing their teams and they have to convince me and all the listeners why their team could or will win the super bowl in 2021 so we're kicking it off with the nfc east Starting off with the Dallas Cowboys representing the Dallas Cowboys, Tim Monksgard. He's calling from Warren, PA. Tim, you have three minutes or less to tell me and everybody else why the Dallas Cowboys will be ho- hoisting the Lombardi Trophy in February 2022. Well, first and foremost, Dak is back. Uh, hopefully, uh, he recovered pretty well from his injury. Um, and he can keep going with his uh, good performances he had last year passing the ball. Uh, Zeke needs to step it up a little bit. However, Tony Pollard uh, is looking pretty good for a second option. Uh, and then you got the trio of wide receivers of Cooper, Gallup, and Lamb, which I think Lamb is going to explode this year, um, especially because a lot of the uh, attention is going to be on Cooper. Um, they got Tyron Smith back on the line, Lyle Collins, um, two veterans that are going to, uh, hopefully pull them through the season. And then they had a decent draft, um, with, with picking up Parsons, uh, Kelvin Joseph to help the defense. And I think a big, big, uh, sleeper in the, in the backfield, hopefully if the kid, you know, comes along well, is that Nashawn Wright. Uh, he's six foot four, one eighty eight out of Oregon State, and I think he's going to help the, the Cowboys' defense a ton. Um, they just, especially with the uh, second-year coach, uh, Mike McCarthy, um, you know, getting his stuff set into the Cowboys' um, scheme of things, I really, really think the Cowboys have a good chance of winning the Super Bowl in 2022. All right. 
And uh, th- so there you have it. There's the Cowboys explanation. I'll just give you one uh, one thing that I, I think of when I think of the NFC East. It's an easy division, so you could cruise through, you know, the, to get to the playoffs through that division. Do you agree with that? Tim? Yeah, I lost you. Oh, okay. Are you back now? Yeah. All right. I completely – I couldn't hear what you said. Okay. Well, what I said was that the – the NFC East is a pretty easy division, correct? Yes. So for them to cruise through, you don't think that's going to be a problem at all? No, I think, I mean, I think with Dak um, being back from injury, obviously they didn't have much behind him last year. Uh, and it, uh, he was, I mean, was killing it last year, uh, throwing the ball, especially in the second half when that was probably because the Cowboys were always behind. But he looked really good um, until he went down. And I expect bigger and better things from him this year. All right. There you have it, everybody. Tim Monksgard representing the Dallas Cowboys. All right. Next up on the Beehive Hotline, NFL fan rant representing the New York Giants from Erie, Pennsylvania, Andy McIntosh. Andy, where are you calling from? I'm currently calling from Deerfield Beach, Florida, staring at the waves. And I'm staring at a wall in a basement. So you're doing better than I am. You... Andy, you have three minutes. Convince me why the New York Giants could or will win the Super Bowl in 2021-22 season. There is one answer to the question, and his name is Daniel Jones. Uh, Gettleman, for the first time in his career as a GM drafting, traded back this year with the Chicago Bears, and we received a 2022 first-round pick. So... The Giants now have two first-round picks in 2022, so this is the year for Daniel Jones to put up or shut up, and if he does not produce a Super Bowl, he will be out in New York. We will use our draft picks next year to trade up first, second, wherever, and we will grab a quarterback, and Daniel Jones will be moving on from the New York Giants. All right, that sounds fair. It is uh, the weakest division in football, so you think they could easily win that on the road to the Super Bowl, correct? Yes, and another fact for Daniel Jones, and this is where give him a little bit of leeway, is Daniel Jones in his starting career with the New York Giants has never played with every single starter. There has always been someone injured, either the offensive line or skills players. So fingers crossed the Giants stay healthy, and Daniel Jones will have his full slate of starters this year. All right. You heard it. That is why the Giants will or could win the Super Bowl. So up next, Beehive Hotline. So we have down so far the Cowboys. We have the Giants. We're moving on to the Philadelphia Eagles on the Beehive Hotline. Brian Hagberg. Also, just a quick shout. He's a our D9, D10 sports.com guy, your daily local. Check him out. He's on the hotline. Brian, where are you calling from? A warm VA, Joe. All right. I, I knew the answer to that, but I just wanted to ask you a question. <laughs> so you have three minutes. The Eagles are on the clock. Brian Hagberg, tell me and the listeners why the Philadelphia Eagles will be winning the Lombardi Trophy in the 2021-22 season. Go ahead. All right. Well, the most obvious answer is, one, they play in one of the most ridiculously bad divisions in all of the NFL. The uh, Cowboys, the Giants, the Washington football team, they can all say what they want. That division is bad, top to bottom. But the Eagles are the best of the bunch. 
this year for sure. Uh, the Cowboys have major question marks starting with Dak Prescott. Nobody knows what he's going to look like coming back from that major injury. The Giants still have Daniel Jones, who is Daniel Jones, plus Saquon <laughs> coming back from a major injury. And who knows what the Washington football team is going to trot out at quarterback week to week. The Eagles are in prime position. They're going to come in with Jalen Hurts at quarterback as the number one guy. He knows he's going to be the number one guy coming in the season. And he gets reunited with one of his favorite targets from college, Devontae Smith. Already seen some uh, preseason practices from Devontae doing things nobody has seen from Eagles wide receivers since the days of T.O., and we know what happened the one year T.O. was there for a full season with the Eagles. Devontae Smith going to make a huge difference offensively. And speaking of the offense, there's no way that offensive line gets bit by the injury bug as bad as they did last year. You're going to see 15, 16 games of the same five guys, anchored by Jason Kelsey at center, Brandon Brooks back at right guard, Lane Johnson at right tackle. That right side of the offensive line is just going to dominate. And we're going to see it from start to finish this year. All right. So I'll tell you what, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit, but the only thing I've been saying to people is, well, your team can cruise through the East because it's trash. And you address that right from the get-go, so I don't even need to say anything. So, (laughs) all right, we're going to wrap it up. Brian just explained uh, during his time why the Eagles will be not only winning the East, but winning the Super Bowl with Jalen Hurts, Devonta Smith, and that back and beefed up offensive line. So next on the hotline, we will have Phil Buckheimer representing the Washington football team. He'll be the last to go for the NFC East as we have already had uh, the Cowboys, Giants, and Eagles already been represented. Last but not least, the Washington football team, a.k.a. Redskins. I still call them that from time to time. As I said in the past, it's my show. I'll call them whatever the fuck I want. So, Phil, you have three minutes to explain to me and the listeners why the Washington football team will win the Super Bowl this year. Where are you calling from, first and foremost? All right, I am calling from Frederick, Maryland, right here in the DMV. All right, so take it away with us uh, with the Washington explanation. Okay, all right, man. So the reigning NFC champs are going to repeat and go all the way and lift the Lombardi for really myriad of reasons. Number one, the rest of the division is trash. I mean, what, are you really expecting Jalen Hurts or Daniel Jones to do anything? I mean, come on. So there is that aspect. Uh, the Cowboys, they're always picked number one, but they never really pan out. Um, but on our end, we're just going to be free of distractions this year. You know, last year, 2020, we had to deal with the name change. We had to deal with the sexual assault in the front office. We had to deal with Dwayne Haskins. We had to deal with Alex Smith's broken leg. I mean, the list goes on and on. Not the least to mention Ron Rivera was battling cancer, our head coach battling cancer during the first month of the season. And it really, you know, kind of reflected in our play. We were pretty terrible to begin the year but we got a little bit better and so this year i think you know with our having the uh the preseason with our new coaching staff it's really going to gel together uh second reason we're going to win chase young uh chase young montez sweat i mean that d-line is going to terrify people um 
And then the third reason, you know, near and dear to y'all's hearts is Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, he is going to tear it up this year. Uh, we, we actually have a wide receiver one and a wide receiver two. We have a tight end one. We have an RB one. You'll actually be able to pick skins players in fantasy football this year. Um, if you look at what our quarterbacks have done since Kirk Cousins left, I mean, I'm looking at the 2020 rankings and, they were ranked outside of the top 32. So we were even behind backups when it comes to QBR, sack percentage, completion percentage, yards per attempt, you know, all this stuff that uh, Fitzpatrick's actually pretty decent at. So I think we'll have a middle-of-the-pack offense and an above-average defense, and we are going to make some noise, brother. <laughs> all right. So there you have it, everybody. That's that's going to wrap up the NFC East for the first ever NFL fan rant on the Beehive Sports Podcast. I think it turned out pretty good. I liked what I heard. Uh, what I'm going to do is actually put up a poll probably in the middle of the week uh, after the episode airs. Probably three, four days after that, I'm going to put up a poll on the Facebook page so you can vote for which which uh, representative, I guess you could call them, made the best case for their team. Doesn't mean you think that team's going to win. It means who made the best case. So that's what the poll is going to be about. I'm going to add that to the Facebook page, like I said, middle of the week uh, at following the publishing of this episode. But yeah, I like this. This is going to be good. So we have next week, AFC East. I can't wait to hear those. Obviously, being a Buffalo fan, I uh, can't wait to hear what all of them have to say. Uh, regarding their team and, and why their team is going to win the East, win the Super Bowl. Uh, it's going to be cool. So, all right, stick around and we will be back for closing. And we'll move this episode along to the end. That wraps up episode 12. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I want to thank the sponsors, D9and10sports.com, as well as the Me, Myself, and Ride podcast. Still advertising available. I do have a couple things in the works, hopefully, but still space. If anybody's interested or knows somebody who's interested, let them know. I do have a contract drawn up. I can share with them if you just put me in touch with them. Email me, jbsports at gmail.com. Also want to thank Brian Hagberg, Andy McIntosh, Tim Monksgard, and Phil Buckheimer for their participation in the NFL Fan Rant. I think this is going to be fun over the next eight weeks. Next week, AFC East. Just remember, tune in for that. Koozies are in. You can find them at several local establishments in Warren, Cornerstone, Bent Run Brewing, Wicked Warren, Fat Daddy's, Draft House, or at a number of places. Also going to be some uh, hooked up in Erie here soon, Ugly Tuna Tavern and Doc Holiday's. So if you're interested in getting one, they are free, and you can find them at those establishments. Thank you again, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, stay safe. See you soon.